Hello, everybody. A.L. Levy here. Welcome to the Riff Heart Podcast. My guest today is Tank the Tech, popular YouTuber, stage manager, tour manager, guitar tech, just jack of all trades, but actually killer and most of them. And uh, let me just say, you really should go check out his YouTube channel. I think that he has one of the most insightful channels about the music industry I've ever seen. And uh, that's why I was excited to bring him on the Riff Hard podcast. We had him on the URM podcast a few months ago, and I felt like there were some topics that we didn't talk about that would be really, really relevant to all you guitar players. So without further ado, I give you Tank the Tech. Tank the Tech, welcome to the Riff Hard podcast. Thank you, man. Thank you. It's good to see you again. Good to see you too. Um, I know we, it feels like we just spoke on the URM podcast. I know it wasn't, It we didn't just speak. This year has gone by really, really fast. Yeah. That was like seven months ago or eight months ago. <laughs> yeah. It feels it feels like a month ago. But uh, th this year has gone by super, super fast for people listening in the future. We're recording this two days before Thanksgiving 2023. And uh, normally I don't have guests, the same guests on, on either podcast like this close together. I try to space mm -hmm. it out more like at least a year. But I feel like we have some stuff to talk about that is way more appropriate for riff hard. Um, and it's not necessarily the sexiest topic, but I mean, we're beautiful. We, we can make it sexy. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of the things that I know that you're not the most known for this, but I know about it. Like you started as a guitar tech and you're not even a guitar player. And I feel as a producer and guitar player that guitar players out there, amateur, pro, whatever, should all have a very basic working knowledge of how to set up guitars. They don't, not luthier level or anything, mm -hmm. but just a very basic knowledge of how to get it intonated and just how to work it. Because if they don't, uh, a few things can happen. Number one, uh, when they do take it to a luthier or a tech, they're going to pay a lot more money for a lot of stuff that built up over time. Number oh, yeah. two, they're going to sound way worse playing non-intonating guitars. Number three, even if they get into a touring band, the band may not be able to afford a tech. Uh, so there's a number four, if they want to make money in the industry and their own music is not doing it at that point, if that's what they want to do, teching or uh, teching, tour managing, whatever, working in crew is an excellent, if not better way to, uh, to be employed in music. So that's just four reasons that I just rattled off the top of my head. But so I'm wondering, in your opinion, you not even being a guitar player, uh, why do you think that so many guitar players are afraid to learn the basics? I don't know. I don't really have a, like a solid answer for that because I, you know, in my career of, uh, of teching for people, I have worked for some artists that do have a really good knowledge of their instrument that were like, I wouldn't be needed. It's just they're at a level where they want somebody else to do it because they have yep. other things to do. But then I definitely have worked for some people that like, they, they wouldn't know how to do anything if it wasn't for somebody doing it. And I guess from what I've seen and in, in, in my personal experience, those artists that don't know how to take care of their own instruments are the ones that are at a level where they don't need to. Like, you know, arena, uh, amphitheater level. But the interesting thing to me is like, well, how did you you come up? Because you didn't start at an arena level. So how were you taking care of your instruments before? Did you just know how to restring and didn't know how to do anything else? And maybe there's the passion for playing that some players, like that's all they want to focus on is they, they want to focus on their playing. They don't want to have to sit and do the tedious work of the intonation and string heights and stuff like that. I don't know what it is. Like, it's like you said, as somebody who's not a player, um, I don't know because I really truly fell in love with being a tech and working on instruments. And I've never, 
I, I can't really say I've ever had the desire to play. I just, I, I love working on instruments. So that's all I've ever really thought about. God bless you. Because uh, <laughs> I hate working on them. Um, yeah. But I've always, I've always felt though that the basics aren't that time consuming. And I guess the I keep pointing to the fact that you're not a guitar player and you picked it up on at a pro and we're able to do it at a pro level mm-hmm. that right there says that like you having a basic understanding of how music, the musical instrument works is kind of all you need. And then you need then just take the time to learn how to do the things, but you don't need to have, you don't need to have like an understanding of guitar that a guitar player would have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's uh like, I think a lot of people see it as something that's like way too crazy to understand. Um, but I don't think it is. I, I think that like, if, if someone that doesn't play guitar can pick it up, then someone who does play guitar could also pick it up. Yeah. And I, to that's be, not scientific reasoning, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, but, to, to be fair, you know, I, uh, I, I've played bass my whole life. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was a bass player in a band and I, I toured and stuff. But, uh, you know, going into getting my first guitar tech gig, I, when I got the offer, I straight up told this production manager that was hiring me, I was like, I've never been a guitar tech. And he's like, yeah, but you've, you're a bass player and you've been a bass tech. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, same thing, just additional strings. You'll figure it out. And um, that was kind of like the boost of confidence that I needed. So when I was like, all right, stepped into my first guitar teching gig ever, like adjusting to guitar rather than bass. And, you know, I, I always get the joke of, um, you know, techs oftentimes will line check for the artists that they're working for, you know, to, for the front of house engineer and stuff like that. And I can drop tune a guitar and play some riffs, like some rhythm riffs. I can get away with that, but I've had other techs in the industry always kind of jokingly give me a hard time be like, how are you a guitar tech and you can't play guitar? Because some other guitar techs are phenomenal guitar players. They are. And my answer to that is always, I don't get paid to play guitar. I get paid to be a guitar tech. And once I took that first guitar tech gig and got that mentality in my head of, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm getting paid and trusted to do. I'm going to learn everything I can about this. And that's what I've done. I just put my head down all the experience I have is from learning on my own. I never went to schooling and there were opportunities on the road for a lot of learning too. Like when mistakes happen on the road, in my opinion, is one of the best times to learn from those mistakes so that they don't ever happen again. What do you think are the, like if you were to say like, these are the basics that someone should just know, like any guitar player should just know. What do you think those are? I think the, the, the big three for me, restringing, obviously, I mean, any anybody that plays an instrument has to know how to do that. Um, but past that, I mean, intonation, which once you know how to do it, learn how to do it is not a big deal. And then string height. String height plays a big factor for a lot mm-hmm. of players and some don't even realize it. I mean, especially if you're going from, uh, it, let's say you want to uh, try a lower tuning on a guitar, so you put thicker gauge strings on there. There are some people out there that don't realize you need to you need to readjust your string height for that because if you put thicker gauge strings on a guitar, you're going to get different different tension on your neck. You're going to get maybe some fret buzz going on from that. So for me, I would say restringing your instrument, knowing how to do the intonation, and knowing how to adjust your string height are the absolute minimum basics that I would think anybody would need to know going past there. You can get into uh, adjusting a truss rod and a neck, which I I will throw it out there. If you don't know how to do that properly, (laughs) don't. Um, And then um, even, even past that, like basic soldering skills. Like when I was a kid, if I had an input jack go wrong on, on one of my bases, I would, I would take it to like the nearest luthier in my hometown. And then years later, learning how to just check an input jack and solder it back into place. I'm like, why did I pay somebody a hundred bucks to do this every single time? Like, it's not that difficult. (laughs) I think that it's more difficult for people to sit down and learn how to do something than it is to do the thing. Lots of the time, I want to add something to the string changing. I think it's not just string changing, but string changing quickly. Sure. I think yeah. that that 
I, that's the only thing I would add is because, um, I have seen some people take like an hour to change strings on guitar, which is crazy. Uh, I just remember that I had it down to like four minutes per guitar and, Mm -hmm. um, not ever tunes. Um, and like, I felt pretty good about that. I felt like even if strings break on all the backups, like there's no situation where I won't be able to get out of within a few minutes, um, with a string break on stage. And so, um, I would, I would time myself on tour. I would just, every time I did a string change, which was, um, every other show on all the guitars, I would just time, time it and just try to get my time better every time. And that's, that's it. And so then once I was done touring and I was producing bands, bands that couldn't afford a guitar tech and were changing their own strings, I would end up just doing it for them because we'd be sitting there for like an hour or like, (laughs) or like an hour and 15 minutes. And they're just changing strings on one guitar. It's like, dude, like, come on, man. Well, that was, that was one of the funny things about, um, you know, Jared Dines just did that, uh, musician mansion thing on YouTube where they had like so many guitar players in there and stuff. And I was like, I was talking to somebody that was on there and they're like, man, there were certain times where we would have to like delay what we were doing because everybody had to change their strings and it took forever. So I told Jared, I was like, Mm -hmm. next time you do this, if you do it again, like bring me out there and I'll just work on everybody's guitars because you're literally losing time waiting for people to change stuff. And um, I've never timed myself just on a pure string change, but I, um, I would schedule my day on tour working on guitars in 15 minute intervals. And that 15 minutes for me is everything, not just the string change. It's from the time I lay a guitar on a workbench to cutting the strings off, cleaning the entire thing, uh, putting the new strings on, stretching them out, checking the intonation. Like my entire process of, of what I would consider like my bar for quality for working for somebody else, it's, it's 15 minutes per guitar on the road. Um, but pure string changes, like you said, I mean, as a tech, there are situations where you have to be so fast. It hasn't happened often, but there's been times in a show where guitar player busts a string on the main guitar they're using. And I do a quick swap on stage. And then if we're in like the bridge of that song, I've got maybe a minute Mm -hmm. to, to get that new string back on. So he's got his main guitar ready for the next song again. So you know, speed is definitely a thing, especially when you're in those tense live situations like that. That's why I use the timer um, mm-hmm. because I, I have this theory that I learned from friends of mine in the military that uh, you can't simulate adrenaline and you can't simulate what it does to your motor skills mm-hmm. without scaring the shit out of yourself or, yeah. or like imposing something that will elevate your heart rate and will get you more jacked up. Um, so if you're just trying to move fast, but there's nothing else that different about the environment, that's not enough. Yeah. Uh, that's not close enough to real life. You can't ever make it as scary as like real life. Like, um, but the more things you add to stress you out, the better. And so for me, just having the timer on and just watching it go was enough to like add one more thing that could fuck me up while changing the strings. Um, and then when that situation you're talking about did happen where, uh, I was, um, down to only one guitar, there was a show. I feel like it was on Ozfest or something where the backup guitar I had was just not functional for whatever reason and broke a string, the main guitar in the bridge of a song um, and was able to get it uh, changed within like 45 seconds uh, while the other guitar player just played my parts. And that being able to like think through that quickly, I think I was only able to like be calm about it because every day for like the, two years leading up to that, I was just using the timer all the time and stressing myself out. Man, that makes me want to like go down to my work box in my garage later and actually put on a timer. Cause I've, I've never actually like I've timed myself. Like I said, doing the full thing per mm-hmm. guitar, like the cleaning and the checks and everything, but I've never timed myself just restringing as fast as possible. So I'm now I'm, now I'm curious. 
I'm curious too. I, I'd be, I'm curious how fast you can do it. Like if, yeah. I mean, so yeah. when, when you're restringing, a question for you, are you a, are you a hand wind the pegs or do you use uh, an automated, like a, you know, like an Ernie ball gun to wind the strings? I don't trust those. I don't know I if don't they've either. gotten better. Like, okay. So maybe they haven't, but like I tried them back in the day and they're so wildly off that, um, that, I just don't trust them. All, what I I just like manually wind them down, cut, remove, spray, wipe, put it back yeah. on, tune up, stretch, tune, yeah. go. Yeah, and it's it's nothing against those products because there are a lot of techs and a lot of people out there that use them. But I've actually seen a lot of techs on the road that use those automatic winders or the drill bit attachment on an actual power drill, and. You can't Ooh, feel scary. You can't feel the yeah. tension. Like when you're winding a peg with your hand, you can you can feel the tension. Yep. When you're using a machine, you can't feel that. And I've actually seen people snap strings by over tightening on the road. So I've always been um, a hand wind, or at the very most, you know, use the actual tool that you have your hand on that you rotate because you can still feel it at that point, at least. Yeah, I'll use that. Um, yeah, the yeah. manual winder until I get to a point where it's starting to get like it, where there's starting to be like significant tension and it's actually yeah. reading pitches. And at that point I'll just switch to manual because, because I feel like it's too risky. Otherwise mm -hmm. it's like, yes, you might save 10 seconds using the machine. Um, but if you snap a string because you can't tell what's going on, you just added a lot more time. I for to me, it's not worth the risk. I agree, and I feel like there's more control too. I know people like the automated stuff because of the speed, but like you said, in reality, you're only saving seconds. And you know, if you're dealing with maybe something like a Bigsby bridge or something like that, like like the saddle system, like that. There are times where I've had to like have another hand down here holding it or something. And like, you, you need to feel it and hold it in place. And that's why I just do everything manually. Yeah. Those, I also, I'll, I'll admit, I'm like not very good about hanging on to things. Like, <laughs> like I lose things. Um, you know, I have to have like a very rigid system for not losing my phone or my keys. And the more things I add into any scenario, the more uh, chaotic my life is going to get and the more likely that I'm going to like lose something or break something. And so I've just noticed that for me to be successful at like staying organized, I need the least amount of uh, physical objects possible. Yeah. And so anytime I have tried to add a tool like that with anything, um, you know, whether it's like exercise equipment or like something for record, like whatever. Anytime I try to add like little gadgets to make my life easier, they only make my life easier within the first couple days where I'm excited and paying attention to that thing. But then without fail, they make my life harder when I lose them or break them <laughs> yeah. or break them. Yeah. No, I feel you on that. Yeah. I, I, that's another thing though. I feel like, uh, or order on the road is super, super important. Um, super, super important. And I think that the more orderly that people can keep their work area or their rig or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, the more likely that they're going to be able to deal with those, those in the moment emergencies. And then also off the road, uh, you know, like a lot of people go a long period of time not changing strings because they're too lazy because it takes so long. Uh, I, I feel like that's not a good thing either because even if you're not on stage and you're not recording, say that you're in the demoing phase, writing phase for something and uh, you're laying down, you're laying down pre-pro or whatever. And it's this common thing where guitar players will think it's just a pre-pro. It doesn't matter. But I cannot tell you how many times I have been in the studio for my own music or recording somebody else's music or talking to friends of mine where, and I wonder, have you experienced this where the demo version of a part is better than 
the album part and you got to trash it because they recorded the demo too shitty to use. The guitar's not intonated. The strings were dead. Um, they played it kind of shitty. Not so, but and maybe if they played it a little better, it might be salvageable, but it's so out of tune or not intonated or just dead sounding that they got to go with the more pristine but sterile version that they re-recorded where if they had taken that little bit of extra time, they could have kept the pre-pro. And so keeping your shit orderly and knowing how to do those basic things to where you can change strings quickly, you're more likely to actually do it and keep your stuff maintained and then save yourself time in those situations. Yeah, and even as a tech, like there's there's a certain level of pride for me too where like I'm the guy that's taking care of the instruments for the musician, so I want to make sure they're always in the best shape as possible. Like I'll fully admit, I mean everybody has their different days on the road mentally. There are definitely days where I've gone into like show days and been like god, I don't want to change any strings mm -hmm. today. And I could easily not and I could get the guitar into a shape where like it would be fine for them to play live, but there's something about that level of pride where it's like, no, this is my job. This is what I have to do. And, you know, it's funny that you you bring up the the intonation and the tuning because that, that translates to live sometimes too. Mm -hmm. And what I've realized lately, um, I've been going to a lot of live shows lately. And what I've realized is I think um, some musicians have become too reliant on their tuners. Not that it's a bad thing to use a tuner. That's not what I'm saying at all. We all use it. Like You mean you the need... tuner that you're looking at when Yeah, like a like yeah. a stomp tuner. Okay. Okay. You some don't mean like you don't mean like the peg one. Okay. No. Okay. All right. I think some musicians have become too reliant on their like pedal tuners mm -hmm. that they don't hear it when they're playing when it actually does slightly go out of tune. Yes. Because I was at a concert the other night. And there was one point at the set where I'm watching the show and maybe to the general music listener that doesn't know music, maybe they don't notice terribly much, but I'm like watching the show and I'm like, this bass is so sharp right now. Like when the, when the guy was playing up high because the intonation was bad. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, how do they not hear this? Like, I because I, I got to believe if, if the intonation was that bad that it's been like that for a while. I was like, how does the musician playing this not hear this? So, and the only thing I can think of is that, like I said, because when people are tuning, they're tuning on open strings. They don't think about the intonation. But then when they do hit those higher parts, you can clearly hear that it's sharp. And I just don't know if some people's ears don't pick up on that or they just see that it says it's in tune on the machine and then they're like, okay, cool. But I've, I've been hearing it at shows a lot lately and it's been kind of driving me nuts. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I've thought about this. I've noticed it most often in the studio when I'm tracking somebody. And I there's so many times where I've tracked somebody and then I just end up being the person that tunes them uh, <laughs> because I don't trust them because they just look at what the tuner says and what they're playing is definitely not in tune. And they trust the tuner and not their ears. And then I start to wonder, can you not hear it? Or are you deciding not to because you trust the tuner more? Or are you insecure about what you're hearing? Like, I don't know. It's probably a combination, but the end result is your shit's out of tune. And, yeah. and uh, some, something's got to be done about it. I've thought about it a lot because uh, on this last Doth record we just finished, we used a lot of Evertunes. And even Evertunes, like I call them mostly tunes because they're not, <laughs> they're, they're not perfect and they don't stay. They're great, but mm -hmm. they're not, they're not like a synth or something. And yeah. you do need to keep on adjusting them. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking like, I'm still hearing this shit. Like I thought I'd never hear it anymore, but I'm still hearing that the intonation changes slightly when I like play the same chord an octave up or whatever. Um, maybe within a smaller range, I guess of it's like, I guess if you had like 15 cents or 20 cents difference before, now you were talking about like a, a two to three cent range or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's way smaller, but I still hear it. 
and you still need to keep making adjustments. So like, it's crazy to me that people who don't play Evertunes don't hear that stuff. And, and then I just wonder, did they record on their albums? Because recording is what helped me really, really hear it. And I know that producers will oftentimes pick one person in the band to track like all the strings. And lots mm -hmm. of times there are players who will play live, but they're just not tight enough for the studio. So maybe they haven't had the experience of a producer just being on them about intonation, yeah. on them about tuning, on them about their death grip, like just on them and tuning in between like every single take or every other take or tuning to the chord. And like, I, I feel like maybe they just haven't had that experience. When I would record baby bands, I would be a lot more understanding because I know how would they know if, if no one drilled that mm -hmm. into them? But with veteran bands, I started to come to the conclusion that what we're what we're what we're noticing is the dude who wasn't allowed to play on their albums. Mm -hmm. That's that's my theory. And I, I think I, I think you're right because the most I've ever learned there was two. The most I've ever learned about like my own instrument and recording was one, the first time that my band ever went in with an actual, like, real professional producer. I was like, wow, this is... Like, I'm, I'm, I'm learning things that I never even thought about as when it comes to recording and stuff like that. And then uh, when I first moved to Nashville, I was the production assistant in a, a small studio um, for quite a few months. And, you know, sitting in on the sessions and prepping sessions and seeing how that producer worked and stuff... It's it's kind of wild. And like you said, you can tell there are musicians that come in where either they didn't know that thing or somebody's never told it to them before or it's their first time. Because especially with the technology that we have nowadays, there are quite a bit of bands out there that there's like one person in the band that's writing and recording all of the music. Yes. And then the band is just learning the parts and then, you know, they're going on tour. So, you know, things are a lot different. And I know with some of the older veteran guys, like they grew up in a time, you know, it's like, it's rock and roll, man. You know, it doesn't need to be perfect. But when you're talking about recording an album, it, it needs to be perfect. <laughs> like you need to know those things and hear those things. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I'm not that old. Like, you know, I, from the mid 2000s was like when I was, uh, I guess, in my mid early twenties. And, uh, even then, at least in my circle, we were all about getting shit as perfect as possible. Mm -hmm. But listen back now, um, like we just re-released our first album, like metal blade put it out on vinyl. And so I had to kind of go back through all of the, all the tracks and stuff and, uh, went through all the multis and was like, some of this shit's out of tune. <laughs> like some of this shit's, it's a little sloppy yeah. at the time didn't hear it. And so I think that even if you thought, even if you had the highest standards, like the bar does keep rising. Mm -hmm. So there, there is that too, that I think, um, I think that the older school you are, the more of an effort you need to make to uh, keep getting better because whatever you thought was a high bar back in the day is definitely low for for nowadays but i definitely think that now with the the trap that younger people fall into is you have these musicians that are just stellar like so there's this there's this category of musician that's like the best musicians that ever walked the earth now in this young uh generation uh but you've also got uh you know a bunch of mediocre musicians too and shitty musicians mm -hmm. and they have to rely on equipment and gear a lot more, uh, or they choose to. And so I think that in some ways you're getting more of a divide where you have like people that are better than they've ever been ever. And then musicians that are worse than they've ever been ever. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's interesting. And I mean, with, with technology changing too, there's so many adaptations like me as a tech, I will fully admit, um, I think it was around the mid or late 2010s. Um, I was touring with a country band and everything we had was all tube amps. Like mm -hmm. we were using like Fender Basements and they had a deal with, um, oh, what amp company? Well, either way, everything we were using was all speaker cabinets, tube amps, all like 
gigantic floorboards and nothing was digital. And then one year, they just decided like going into the new year, we're going digital. We're going, we're going to, they decided to go with um, Axe FX3. And me, I, I was intimidated by that. I was like, I don't know this. Like I, I, the tube amps and the speakers are my thing. I can do anything with that. Like I was kind of intimidated at the prospect of them going digital. And I was making up all this stuff in my head too. I was like, it's not going to be the same. You know, the live show is going to suffer because there's going to be no feeling like, you know, nothing beats the classics, man. And then we started working with this stuff and I started learning it. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's been many, many times on the road where we've, we've wanted to try new things that I've been kind of intimidated by, but it's just that technology advancing. And at the same time, it made my job easier. I went from having to set up and run cables for two or three amp heads and two cabinets to a pedal board that had like 40 pedals on it to just uncasing a rack every day and turning everything on and just plugging in a couple XLRs and everything's cool. And, you know, especially for fly dates and stuff, that makes it just so simple because all of our settings are saved. We don't need to worry about rental backline, which is something I could go off about all day. Um, you know, the changes that we've had in the music industry in the last 10 years have been wild. And even for techs, it's something that we, like I've, I've had to adjust to as well. And it's just that constant learning thing, man. It's like, I always love learning new things about what makes the live industry and recording industry work. Yeah. I know what you're talking about with the being intimidated. I, I think that that all, that is actually why just to kind of full circle, that is why a lot of guitar players don't learn basics about teching. Um, that's why I see a lot of guitar players being afraid to check out stuff like Evertunes. I'm not saying they should or shouldn't, but I just know that the reason a lot of people don't is because of that intimidation factor mm -hmm. or these stories they tell themselves, like we're going to lose the feel or like yeah. based on nothing. Like th that whole, it's not going to be the same or it's not gonna like the magic's gonna be gone or whatever. That's like yeah. that is a total, and I've thought that too. But I, it, but ended up getting to a point where whenever I think that, I like tell myself to shut the fuck up because it's based on literally nothing. It's just how do you actually know that it's gonna do that? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's you know it, when people are uncomfortable with anything. No, whatever it is. I mean, we, at least I, I can't speak for anything else. I'll speak for myself. But when I am uncomfortable with certain situations, I will make excuses, whether they're valid or not, of why I don't want to do these things mm -hmm. and why I don't want to learn these things. And, you know, in, in more recent years of my life, I've gotten away from that. Um, even with teching, there is a certain, I don't want to say fake it till you make it, but there have been situations where I've been in as a tech where somebody's like, can you do this? And I'm like, yeah. And at that time, no, the answer is no. I'll give you a perfect anecdote. There was a band I toured with earlier this year where they offered me the job and they said, um, are you comfortable with Kempers? And I said, yes. And they said, are you comfortable with Evertunes? And I said, yes. Truth of the matter, I'd never worked with either, ever. I just know myself well enough to know, okay, I've got two months till this tour starts. I downloaded all the Kemper manuals online. I downloaded the Evertune manuals. I watched videos to the point where the first time I got out to that show, I just set up and worked. And the band was never the wiser. And I even admitted to them at the end of the tour, like this was my first time ever working on any of this gear. And they're like, we would have never known. So I feel like if you get into that headspace of, of being open to learning these new things. It's easy once you get it. Yes, it's tedious to sit down and learn new things. It's not fun. I think that's what the big problem is too. It's like playing the guitar is fun. Sitting down and restringing it and learning to intonate it and do all that, it's not fun in that moment. But if you learn how to do those things, it could make playing your instrument more fun, which is a good trade-off. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right. And that fake it till you make it thing, is you hear about, what am I trying to say? You hear about people doing that, then not 
actually knowing how to do something mm-hmm. and it becomes a thing like that person's full of shit. However, you also hear a lot more people who faked it till they made it, who said they were able to do something that they didn't know how to do. Then they actually went and learned it. And I think that that's, I think it's important to put yourself out there and just take a risk because if you are, if you are just trying to like get in the door, if you've never done a job before, there's going to be stuff. There's going to be things that you didn't think of. There's going to be things that are specific to the gig um, or the position that you couldn't have prepared for, or you wouldn't have thought to prepare for because it just never came up. Um, or it hasn't been relevant yet. And so if you were to only say yes to opportunities based on where you're at now, you're going to be severely limited going forward. You're going to have to, at some point, start just saying yes and trust yourself to actually uh, evolve into the role, but then actually do the work to be ready. If you just keep saying yes to the things you already know, you're never going to grow. And if you're not growing, if you're not getting better at what you're doing, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's that's how I look at like the things that I try and tackle, work-related, life-related, whatever in my life. I'm like, if you're not constantly learning and growing from those things, then what's the point of doing it? Like complacency is just like, yeah, you could get by just doing the same things. And if it works, it works. But you learn those new skills, you open yourself up to an entirely new world of opportunities. I mean- that's the last eight years of my touring career has pretty much been that. It's like, I just don't say no to things. Like the other good example is right now, like I'm currently tour managing and that came out of nowhere. When I originally took the gig, this band had asked me to be their guitar tech. And then when that came around time for the tour, they had me uh, like, well, months before the tour, cause you got to prep they had a different guitar tech listed on their personnel list. And I asked management, I was like, uh, am I not teching anymore? They're like, no, nah, we figured you would just tour manage. And I've tour managed before, but nothing at the level of what I'm doing now. And I just didn't say anything. I was like, I'm going to do this. And I did. And now I'm doing it full time. You know, it's, it's, it's putting yourself out there it's being willing to learn. You know, you do have to accept that there, there, there may be a chance you could fail, but you learn from those things. And there are certain things you can't prepare for on the road. Like, like what you were talking about earlier with the adrenaline and the real life situations. Like there have been times in shows where it's like something happens during a show. And it's like, like whether it's a string breaking or an amp going down or something happening or something breaking, it's like you, there's no way to prepare for those situations until they happen in the moment. And you either figure out how to do that. And if you can't, then you hopefully learn and prep for the next time. Yeah, exactly. I'm curious. um, So with guitar teching, what amount of it has to do with uh, stuff that's not the guitar itself? Or like how often are you having to pick up new things like Evertune or like a piece of gear that you never used before? Well... One of the biggest things that I don't think a lot of people realize is I would, I would no joke, I would say that maybe like half or less of a guitar tech job is knowing what you're doing with the gear. The other half or possibly more is knowing how to adjust to the artist that you're working for at the time. Because you can't just go into every guitar tech gig with that same... Um, like the the same skills, the same repetitions, because artists do like things differently Mm -hmm. and artists might have different things. I mean, country, country was wild for me, like working in country music because those players usually don't have specific endorsements or specific guitars uh, that they use for the majority of the set. Dude, I was, when I first started my, my first country gig, I was teching for three different guitar players, like the principal artist and then the rhythm and lead player. It was 21 guitars, and they were all different. Anything from Fender Strats to Telecasters, Gibson Les Pauls, Explorers, uh, we had an ESP Eclipse, a ton of acoustics. Everything's different. So 
those are cool situations for me because it's like, there's so many different guitars to work on and so many different hardware pieces. And every guitar is so different and unique. Even if you take two Telecasters that somebody has used on the road, there's probably little things about each of those that are different that you'd have to figure out the feel of them and working on them just from repetition and time. Like um, a good example is one of the last polls I had out there was like, oh, when you're restringing, it's like, you know, <clears throat> the the nut on the G string is weird and you have to sit it just right. Otherwise it's going to like pop out or do something mm -hmm. weird. It's like those little things. And um, going back to the artist too, you have to know the little quirks about every artist that you're working for. Um, Cause at the end of the day, they are paying you to take care of their gear. And that goes back to what I was saying about going in and doing it, how you want to do it. Isn't really a thing. Um, there are certain cleaning products that I've learned that artists that I've worked for don't like some artists like, fast fret or uh, fingeries on the back of their neck or something. Some people don't, um, you know, there's, it's just so many different little things that you have to adjust to that. Um, that's why that makes it fun for me going from one tour to another and learning the little things that an artist likes and the little gear things that they have is, is kind of fun because it keeps it interesting and keeps me on my toes. How do you go about, uh, say you get a call tomorrow for an artist you've never worked with and just like hypothetical situation, they need you the next day for like two months. Um, two guitar players, you're going to be teching for both of them. Highly complex rigs, big band, lots of pressure. How do you, and you don't know anybody. So how do you go about uh, learning those little things? And like everything you got to know, like as quickly as possible without being I'm annoying. On my end at home, the first thing I would do if I wasn't familiar with their music, um, like start listening to the music just to just to get a you know a taste of what it is. Mm -hmm. But um, this this actually applies to that that first guitar tech gig I took as for that country artist. No idea who he was. It's a headlining tour. It was mid tour, so they needed somebody immediately to replace somebody. Um, started going on YouTube just trying to look at gear to see what they had, what they were using. Um, you know, that's when a good production manager that hires you for, or a tour manager for that hires you for a gig might come in handy. You can be like, hey, is there any chance you can let me know what they have? But first day, like first rehearsal, sound check time, whatever, that's the time where it's like, all right, you have from whenever you load in until that show happens that night to, to basically figure it out. And it doesn't happen right away. You can get everything to a point where it works. You can ask the players what they want. I mean, my first day on that gig, I walked around at Soundcheck with a fucking notebook and a pen yep. and had all their names on a piece of paper and was like, all right, what do you like? What do you not like? What guitars do you want for this song? What guitars do you want for this? What are your settings at? And over time you develop that rapport with them. You start to know what they like. You get, I, like, I eventually got to a point where I, it, I didn't even need to talk to them during, during the day, ever. Like, they knew that they could come to stage and their stuff would just be right. But that happens over a long amount of time. So, you know, starting a gig like that, like you just said, if it's just go now, no prior knowledge, no nothing. You have to go in with the mindset of like, you have to want to learn. Again, you can't just walk into any gig and go through the repetitions of this is what I always do. You have to be willing to learn new ways of doing things and how the people that are paying you want you to do them. Same same applies exactly for producers. So I've guitar teched once in my entire career. It was uh, for Dark Funeral. I don't know, remember if I've told you this or not. And if I have, I apologize, but... For listeners who haven't heard it, um, I can echo exactly what you're saying because we were touring with Dark Funeral in the U.S. and Canada. And then at the end of our tour, they were going to go down into Mexico and South America. They had a guitar tech with them who had problems with the law and didn't want to go to the border because if he <laughs> Th went, that'll happen, <laughs> yeah, he went to if he, he didn't want to get arrested. So this tech had those types of problems. Um, so it was an impossibility that he'd be going into another country. And 
I got asked like literally three days, four days before Mexico if I wanted to guitar tech. Never guitar teched ever in my life. I had done the timer thing on my guitars, but never guitar teched for anyone. And they used Floyd Roses. I'd never oh. played a Floyd Rose ever oh. before. So I just did the same thing you did, which was, well, first of all, I said yes, um, because why not? And then I just, uh, during uh, any downtime, I just started watching videos on Floyd Roses. And I asked that guitar tech who was still there for those last few American shows uh, to show me how to work on a Floyd Rose because I don't know how. And I know some people who would have been afraid to say, I don't know how to do this. Uh, but there was no time for that. It's not like if it was two months out, I could have not said anything and just learned and showed up. Yeah. None the wiser. It was four days from now. Uh, I have to just be transparent and get them to help me. So, yeah. So it was a little stressful because those are a pain in the ass. But uh, But it was fine. And I feel like if I had let my insecurities win... Uh, I wouldn't have had this great experience. It was a great experience. Um, and I wouldn't have learned how to use Floyd Roses and really, really know that I never want to use them again. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, like, you. I, I will yeah. say, I want to bring up something. That, like, you brought up a really good point, though, too. You know, while I did say there are situations where you can do that, fake it till you make it, you can learn if you have time. There's nothing wrong with admitting that you don't know how to do something. I think a lot of people, you know, I have a lot of pride too. And a lot of people don't want to say they don't know how to do things, but there are also learning opportunities in that. For example, um, while I was learning all this guitar stuff on the road and stuff like that, one of the things that I wasn't good at at one point was um, electronics and soldering and stuff like that. And one of the guitar players that I was teching for was really good at it. Like he built his own amps at home on his own time. So he asked me one day to solder something in his guitar. I think it was a new pickup or something. And I just admitted to him, like, I, I don't really know how to do this. I was like, is there any way we could do it together? And you could teach me how to do it so that next time I can do it. Mm -hmm. And that's what he did. We sat down together. He showed me and taught me exactly how to do everything. Gave me tips on soldering, stuff like that so that the next time I had to do that work, I could just do it. So there are learning experiences to be had from being able to just swallow your pride and say, hey, I don't really fully know how to do this. I, I think you got to make a decision uh, based on the analysis of, am I adding stress into the situation or not? Like mm -hmm. unnecessary stress. So I know that some people like to info dump their insecurities on <laughs> on people and then will talk themselves out of a job. Like, I don't know how to do this. Uh, and when they still have ample time to figure it out, uh, they, will, they will make everyone aware of everything they don't know how to do or everything they're worried about and make everybody else uncomfortable with mm -hmm. them. Uh, so they'll project their insecurities onto everybody and then everybody else will start to feel insecure about them too. And that's just a death spiral. So I feel like those, if you have the two months and you can learn how to use a Kemper on your own and an Evertune on your own, there's no reason. There's actually, it's not even, in my opinion, it's not even a pride thing. It's more... Uh, it's it's more like a good people skills thing. There's absolutely no reason to bring it up if you're fairly confident you're going to be able to figure it out because exactly. there's no reason to add a negative into the situation or to add any stress into the situation whatsoever for any reason. If you have, if you're right there in the moment with the person, they want you to do something you don't know how to do, like solder. <laughs> I mean, the the outcome of you trying to solder when not knowing how is pretty, pretty catastrophic. So, <laughs> yeah. so it, that's better. Or like if you have four days to learn how to use a Floyd Rose and you're already on the road and there's someone there who can teach you the outcome of not asking for help is way worse than, than asking. Like there's nothing wrong with yeah. that. So I think that people just need to assess, am I adding undo negativity, stress, insecurity into the situation or not. 
uh, is it absolutely necessary? Like what's, what's going to be the most uh, productive thing to bring up? Like, because at the end of the day, it, it doesn't, if, if you're asked to do something in two months and you don't know how to do it, uh, like use a camper, um, I don't, I don't know too many bands. Like if a band is hiring you, I'm just thinking from my own perspective, I was to hire you to tech two months from now. And I have something in my rig that you don't know how to do now. I don't think I'd care that you don't know how to do it because I just assumed that you would figure it out. So it wouldn't really even need to come up that unless it was like something hyper specific, like it just, it doesn't need to come up if you trust that the person's going to learn it. And, and to what you're saying about the negativity or like the negative space thing, like that's actually, I'll admit that's, that's something I've had to work on a lot through my career is like knowing what to bring up to the artist you're working for on the road too. Like Mm -hmm. I, I kind of, I still sometimes have to like stop myself because I think this also goes to a, uh, you know, people like praise and want to be praised. And there have been times on the road where it's like, okay, we're setting up for the show before sound check and the amp isn't working. And I, but I fixed it. And I'll say to the artist when he gets to stage, hey, just so you know, like your amp wasn't working this morning, but I took care of it and it's working now. That to me is a very selfish thing because like looking back on it now, learning through that, it's a very selfish thing. That's me just trying to get praised for doing my job. But also it's putting that kind of negative stress out there that, is that guitar player going to be worrying about his guitar now? Or is he going to be worrying during the show that his amp might go down again? Like those are the things too, where it's like the less you tell the artist you're teching for the better, because you don't, at the end of the day, when people ask me that don't know what a guitar tech is, when people ask me what a guitar tech is or does, I always say like, I take care of all the gear and all the amps and everything so that, all the artist has to do is walk on stage and play. They don't need to worry about anything else. My whole job is to make sure that all they have to do is walk on stage and play, and that's it. So to that, the artist doesn't need to know what went into the day. Like, unless it's pertinent to tell them, like, hey, there's something really wrong with your rig. They don't need to know that a tube went out and I replaced a tube. They don't need to know that I had to resolder something. They just want to know that their stuff works and they want to go play. And that's what I try and do now. Like it's, it's less information about their gear goes to them as possible. Yeah. And I've, I've heard people say that that's trying to keep people in the dark, but I don't think it is like when I hire somebody, uh, for a role like that, I don't want to know those details. Like that's part of why that's part of why they're hired is because every little detail that you know about takes up some percentage of your brain ram. And, you know, if you are taking in all those details from everyone you work with and everyone around you, uh, maybe one thing like a tube got changed, isn't the biggest deal, but you have to think about it as a cumulative thing. If you just keep on taking in all this information, uh, a significant amount of your attention and brain ram is going to be taken away from the thing that is most important for you to be doing. So I actually think that me personally, I would rather not know about those things unless I need to know about those things. Mm -hmm. And I actually get annoyed when people uh, start giving me too much information um, because I feel like, why are you telling me this? Are you telling me this because you want praise? Like, why are we talking about this? Um, Because... I already think you're cool. Like, I, like yeah. you're here because I already trust you. So we don't need yeah. to talk about this. Like, we only need to talk about it if we need to talk about it. Um, and uh, I don't, I don't know. It might sound a little dickish to people listening, but I don't. It's it's not. And I think that if uh, if you're going to be working for somebody, either as a producer or as like a session musician or as a tech, like anything where you're not like the artist, which is frankly, most roles in the music industry, uh, really in any industry, got to think about how you are affecting the people you work with and uh, Mm -hmm. are you making their lives easier or harder? 
Yeah, the only time I, nowadays that I would ever say anything to the artist I'm working for about gear is if it was something that directly impacted the show. Like, for mm -hmm. example, um, like when we were on tour, I had a pickup and an acoustic guitar go out. I didn't have a replacement with me and I couldn't fix it. So in that situation, yeah, I would, I would tell the artist, hey, just so you're aware, for this song tonight, you're going to have your spare acoustic just so you're not surprised when I put it in your hand. Yeah, that is super relevant. Yeah, like yeah. those are the situations where I bring something up. But it, it, if it's something as small as, hey, I had to replace a tube in your amp, it's like, that's just pointless. It's not, it doesn't need to be brought up. But that stuff matters, man, because that stuff, cumulative, if like one person is constantly giving you all these details that you don't need over time and adding stress into the situation over a long period of time, that builds a picture of what it's like to work with that person. Mm -hmm. And when the next tour comes up or the next album, that's going to factor into whether or not uh, they hire you again or recommend you to somebody mm -hmm. else. Like that stuff is really, really important. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's one thing I always tell people like, this whole music industry in some capacity knows each other. Everybody, like six degrees of separation isn't a thing. In the music industry, it's like two degrees. Mm -hmm. Like everybody knows everybody through everybody else. And, um, you know, as is life, everybody grows and changes. So I know I've had tours in my past where I've, I've probably left with, you know, I always take pride in my job, but there have been probably people that are like, oh, he he's, talks too much, blah, 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 whatever. But those are things that, again, this what we've been talking about, you learn and you grow from. But um, we all know each other. There have been so many times where um, I've gotten phone calls from people where they're like, hey, uh, we got this guy recommended to us to do this job for us. And we know you toured with him. How was he? And people don't realize that that's happening all the time. Everything you do on tour, your vibe, what you say, how you act, your overall just vibe, whether you're positive or negative, you can be the best person on the planet at your job. But if you're you're just a constant negative energy and a bad hang, nobody's going to want you on their tour. I mean, it's just, that's fact. So I've seen it happen. I've, I've seen mid-tour, some of the best sound engineers I've ever seen have gotten fired mid-tour because they're the person on the tour that like when they walk into a room, everybody's just like, Ugh. So it's like, I don't know, man. You got to be aware that even while you're on a gig, you're basically interviewing for other future gigs. Yeah, it's, it is it is absolutely the truth. And I think that in lots of ways, that's just as important as the actual skills, mm -hmm. the actual skill set. Um, and I, I've just, I guess what I'm trying to say is, for people who are listening to this, who want to do this sort of thing, um, I would start doing a self uh, self analysis now uh, in advance. It, it see, try to look back on previous interactions you've had with people and try to analyze if you do the info dump thing, if you do stress people out, if you do have a tendency to get negative, if those types of things, those are killers. Uh, so I think if, if you do know that you do those types of things, it is possible to stop doing them. So figure that out as, as soon as possible. And then also don't be afraid to learn new things. Actually, I would jump in head first. If it mm -hmm. seems scary, just jump right in. Yeah. I mean, it's, you just wrapped it up perfectly. I mean, that's, that's out of all the years I've been touring. That's what I've learned. It's, it's never be afraid to learn and just jump in and the people skills, you know, one of the things that, um, not, not to pat myself on the back, but I think one of the things the band I'm working for now is surprised when I started tour managing is they're like, they're at one point during the tour, they're like, we're kind of amazed that you do what you do and you're not a dick. I was like, what do you mean? They're like, well, like a lot of tour managers and production managers are like hard asses and they yell at people and they're like, they put their foot down and they're like, this is the way it is. And they're like, you don't do that. I'm like, yeah, because people respond better when people are treating them nice and with respect than when people are yelling at them all the time. Like 
That's the one thing I've learned in this industry too, man, is like, I've seen what other tour managers and production managers have done and how they act. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do things that way. Like, I, 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 especially when it comes to something as simple as like guitar teching and I'm dealing with like local stagehands every day, like loading in, loading out, moving stuff. It's like, there's, those are people you have to work with all day long. And way too many times have I seen people treat them poorly or disrespectfully because they're like, well, I'm the one that works for the band on tour and you're just a local stagehand. You're not going to get anywhere with, with that attitude. Like you have to work with everybody and treat everybody with respect. And unfortunately, that doesn't always happen on tour. Yeah, you're very, very right about that. I, I think that that type of behavior um, is a lot more frowned upon now than it used to be. Mm -hmm. uh, there's both just like a basic human ethics kind of moral thing about not treating people like shit that yeah. matters. And then there's also a purely practical side of it. Um, there's two practical sides to it. One is, yeah, you're going to be working with them all day. Why, why make it bad? Two, how many times have you recognized someone from a local crew on the road at some point later in the future? Like that person who did sound or monitors at that one club now you see them on the road doing sound for some huge band. Mm -hmm. I've seen that many times. Like, it's, not, not only that, but you go back you know, to the same city and you see the same local yeah. crew at another venue. <laughs> they're they're going to remember you. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, there's if you want to be totally totally selfish about it or altruistic about it or both, just be cool. Like there's. Yeah. It will always, uh, it will always serve you well. Well, Tank, yep. I think this is a good place to end it. I want to thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure as oh, always. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah. Anytime.